Tom, the next uh, question comes from one of the MBT forum users. I'm largely bedridden these days. I'm not suicidal, but I've come to terms with the fact that there's not much in terms of physical action I can do in PMR anymore. That's physical matter reality. This being so, I've thought about doing more living in non-physical matter reality. That is engaging more frequently in conscious interaction with the MPMR environments and data streams. On the one hand, this might be a form of escapism, but on the other hand, I wonder if it's the best I can do. So his question is is really, um, is it advisable to start living more in MPMR? Well, I suspect if you're bedridden, then, you know, maybe it'll say you're quadriplegic and have not use of your arms or your legs as a kind of a, an extreme example. Then, yes, you can spend more of your time, uh, you know, where you don't have interaction with somebody else. You know, it's not your family comes into your bedside. You obviously want to interact with them. But where you have time by yourself, you should start developing a richer inner life. And you can do that in two ways. You can involve yourself more with the non-physical, um, you know, uh, make some non-physical friends, uh, go places, see things, um, learn uh, something about how that larger conscious system works. You can do that. But you can also use that non-physical connection to interact with the, with the physical. You can communicate to people. You can communicate feelings, ideas, and most anything telepathically with people. So you do it in the same way. You get into a good altered state. You work from your being level, and you can communicate with other people. And if you've got a, you know, a, a grandchild that uh, is having a hard time, you can go talk to them, give them some uh, advice and consolation. Or you can always pass around love and caring and hugs to anybody at any time. That's always necessary. So spend your time doing things like that that are positive. Just go from all the people you know that, that you care about and give them a hug and give them some love and tell them something really nice and just do that. You could spend some hours a day just going through all those people and going through them again, just giving them that, and they will get it, and it will help them. And you will be, you know, a very positive influence on their life, even though you're a quadriplegic. So it's not that you can't interact with the people here in the physical reality. You can. Uh, you also can, uh, you know, can learn things. There's a lot to learn uh, in that position where you're bedridden. You learn a lot of humility. You uh, learn to accept things. You learn to let go of fear of what's going to happen next and what your future looks like. Get rid of all the fear surrounding that. So there's a lot of things to do that you can work on that will keep you busy and, and engaged and growing all the time. So being bedridden has creates a lot of different choices for you. Well, realize what those choices are. They're choices of... of uh, of being, how do I feel? You know, what is what's my uh, outlook on life? How positive am I? Well, if you're kind of grumpy and not positive, well, that's something to work on. So spend your time working on that, being positive, coming up with a better attitude, uh, letting go of any negative feelings, live in the present moment, not in the future or the past. So all those things are uh, important things to your growing that you can do, whether you can get out of bed or not. So there's, there's a lot to be done there, a lot of growth that you can have 
And then if you do a lot of that, at least you may still be bedridden if you're, say, a quadriplegic, but you'll be a happy quadriplegic. You will be connected. You will be learning. You will be growing. And you won't be feeling sorry for yourself. And you won't be uh, feeling uh, you know, self-pity or any of those other things that sometimes uh, come over people who are uh, you know, bedridden. So you won't get grouchy. You'll be, uh, you'll realize that this is, this is your thing to deal with and to grow up for whatever the challenges are. Your challenge is to, you know, be positive, be happy, take whatever you've got and go from there. That's a lot to ask. That's a lot to do. Probably keep you busy for a long time. Okay, Tom, the next question is from uh, Brian on the MBT forum. And he has a question about the child who was born with only 30% of his diaphragm. You've spoken before about this child. Initially, you mentioned that uh, the entity was reluctant to continue on in this reality frame and wanted to back out. In the descriptions you gave about the dialogue you had with the entity, it was clear that this entity was evolved enough to at least care about the right situations and set up for his positive spiritual growth in future lives. My first thoughts were about his future PMR relationship. This PMR uh, relationship would still place the entity in a fostering positive environment. Um, can you comment on this situation, on um, how he was made aware prior to the birth of, of his situation and how he decided to, to deal with that? Oh, well, this little guy uh, was born without much of his diaphragm. It turns out later that... Um, but he had only about 30% of it. So, you know, the diaphragm is the thing that has to go up and down. Uh, it flexes up and down to pull air into the lungs and then pushes the air back out. Well, if you only have 30% of your diaphragm, there's nothing to push air in and out of your lungs. So that makes it a little hard to, uh, you know, to survive without uh, being able to breathe effectively. One little 30% flapping doesn't, doesn't push air out of the lungs or pull air in. So uh, he he was aware of that. He's conscious. You know, consciousness is aware of of uh, of what's going on. They're they're aware at the at the level of of uh, experience, and his experience, of course, was was through his own senses uh, before he was born and after he was born. But he's also aware at a larger level of a of a bigger picture of what's going on. And children are like that when they get, when they're born. Their intellectual part has to grow from uh, wherever it is they, they started. You know, wherever they left off left time, that's where they start now. So the intellect comes in without a lot of, uh, of knowledge, without really any knowledge. But at the being level, they still have one foot in the non-physical, even though they now have physical bodies. And they don't lose that until they're around seven years old or stuff, and they start to learn how to do do uh, linear processing, learning to do arithmetic, learning to read. They start to let go of that. But before that time, you know, they have non-physical friends. They are very intuitive. They know what you're feeling even if you try to hide it. They have uh, you know, good uh, telepathy skills in, in, in reading what you're thinking and what you're, what you're uh, doing and what you're feeling. 
So this guy at, at the being level, you can think at the being level. It's not that the intellect has all the thinking. You can think at the being level, and his, his consciousness was aware that he had this physical ailment, and he saw his life as being one of a cripple or one of somebody that was damaged, and that wasn't what he bargained for. He wasn't, that wasn't part of his plan. That was just the way the randomness happened. Okay, so it wasn't part of his plan, and he didn't have much investment in it, so he thought he would just maybe uh, you know, not survive, start over in another, you know, as, a, as another avatar, let this one go. And he changed his mind after he realized that, uh, that the environment he was going to be born into, the love and the caring and the determination, was probably more important than whether or not, you know, he had physical disabilities that he could learn in either case. Well, as it turned out, he did get his diaphragm patched and uh, sewn back together. And he did avoid most all of the physical difficulties that go with that. Sometimes children that have been on heart-lung machines, they call it an ECMO machine, uh, where the machine does your breathing for you and uh, um, moves your blood, does your, it uh, pumps the blood. Uh, children that are on that machine for very long end up often with, with problems like deaf, blind, retarded, other sorts of issues. They often don't come out un, unscathed, even if they survive. Uh, with that particular ailment, uh, the probability of survival was probably pretty small. So anyway, he came out pretty much uh, whole and uh, with uh, good enough eyesight and, and uh, hearing and all the rest of that stuff and good intellect, and he's doing really, really well now. So I think he's pleased that he decided to stick with it rather than, you know, jump ship and try it someplace else. So it worked out good for him. So I'm not quite sure what the question was, but uh, one does have that kind of an awareness at the being level, and they can think and interact at the being level, even though the intellect is pretty much is pretty much blank. Thinking is not just an intellectual thing. You can you can think at the being level. I know it's a little confusing. But the way it works is that because your intellect is mostly uh, makes its choices because of the sphere and its its uh, beliefs and ego, that's what dominates your intellectual choices. Okay, so the intellect kind of gets a bad rap for that. But that's you know, like ego is is awareness in the service of fear. Okay, so if that's what's making your choices, then we call that intellect is full of that fear and ego. Okay, but once you get rid of that fear and, and ego and belief, let's say you, you uh, grow up a whole lot, have very low entropy now, and you don't have very much fear, ego, and belief, now most of your thinking's done at the being level. You see, now you, are, you just exist as one whole thing. It's not like you have an intellectual level and this being level. You just have you. It's all at the being level, and you are a very authentic person who is, you know, centered in the now, and you can do all of your thinking at that being level. So you still have that even when you're an infant. And like I say, usually that goes away. The kids let go of that around seven or so years old where they learn logical process thinking 
And if they think any other way, their peers and their parents kind of laugh at them and tell them that's just their imagination. And eventually they let all that go so as not to be ridiculed. And pretty soon they're just like we are. You know, they're they're uh, 100% in this physical reality and no longer have any connection to the larger reality. So something we kind of squeeze out of them as they uh, as they grow up. So I don't know exactly what the question was, and hopefully I've answered it in some way. I think you did answer the question uh, with your being level um, analysis on that, that he chose to come here from, from the being level, and he had uh, a little bit of knowledge of about what he would have to deal with. I think you, you did answer that <clears throat> so the next question is from another MBT forum user. It is from uh, Zer Schmetterling on loving our mothers. It may sound harsh, but it is absolutely great that we are capable of loving everyone and everything. There's also a very sad thought to it. When I think of my mother, for example, I really love her no matter what she does or how she is. I guess mostly everyone would say the same. Um, but I do love her because of her as, as an individual. Uh, do I love her as an individual or just because she's my mother? In other words, in, in other carna- incarnations, I've had many mothers and I will have in future incarnations. The individual person or mother is, so to say, replaceable. You can apply this to any person of your life, maybe the one in your partnership or friends or other relatives and children. If we are able to love any kind of person, if they are that Ill- easily replaceable, um, does the individuality of this person, after all, really matter? Sure, it matters. You're interacting with an individual. You're not interacting with some concept of mother or some concept of the one uh, special person for you. You're interacting with a particular individual. You have free will. They have free will. You have grown a certain amount and have a certain amount of fears and beliefs and ego, and so do they, and all these things are interacting and they're all very individual. Um, there's, you know, you're not interacting with a concept or with a with a an average. You're interacting with a person and with the very specifics of that person. So yes, individuality does matter. Every individual is special and unique, and it's through all that diversity that you get chances to grow up. If everything was the same then you wouldn't grow much. All you'd be like Groundhog's Day. You know, everything would just repeat itself and repeat itself and repeat itself because every mother would be just like every other mother and so on. But that's not the way it is. Everyone's different. And out of those differences, out of that uniqueness, is where your growth comes from. Your unique your unique uh, characteristics interacting with their unique characteristics produces a, neat, a unique set of choices that you have to make. And the more of those unique set of choices you have to make, the more likely it is you're going to grow up. So, no, there isn't any loss of meaning because you reincarnate. Every reincarnation is in itself unique and gives you the choices to evolve or de-evolve based on the interaction you have with all the other, the other being there all the other beings who are there. I guess what he was saying, too, is 
is that particular individual necessarily important? Every, that, individual, every individual is necessarily important. Yes, but... You love, you love people just because you love people. If it's your mother or your sister or your brother, you're going to have some kind of caring for them, okay? So that, that love comes just because you've shared so much of your life together and your parents maybe did good things for you. But love is freely given, right? Love is given, and you, you don't have to, you don't get anything back for it. It's just something you give away. Like has to be earned. So for you to like somebody, they have to earn that like. And for somebody to like you, you have to earn that like. So you can love people and not particularly like them. And you can love people and see that they are doing things that are harmful, that are hurtful. You know, you may look at your parent. Say your mother and see that she's negative about a lot of things, spends a lot of time complaining and feeling sorry for herself. And if that's the case, you know that's dysfunctional and you know it just makes her miserable, but that's her. You have to let her be her and interact with her the way she is and realize that, you know, it's not yours to change, that she is on her own path doing the best she can with what she's got and just love her anyway. Maybe you don't want to spend as much time around her because she's unpleasant to be around. And maybe it's just sad that this person that you love is so self-destructive. Well, love has a sadness to it sometimes when the people you love are self-destructive. That's very sad. But you have to resist the idea that it's your job to change them or fix them. They're on their path. You can try to be as helpful as possible, but growth has to occur from the inside out. People only will grow up as they choose to grow up. So you have to let them be. And if you love them and they're miserable, that's sad. But there's really not much you can do beyond offering to help, you know, offering a, a better environment in which they can make better choices. And often they uh, will reject that environment. And then there's just not much you can do except let them go on down their path and hopefully learn from it as best they can. That's sad. Yes. All right. Thank you. Um, another question from Lucky on, on the MBT forum. Negativity and negative entities. I was watching the TMI lecture of Tom recently on YouTube where he was answering the question, how affirmations are helpful if someone is fearful that we should have one before going out to give confidence of not being overrun by bad guys or to have bad experience or bad information. So in this regard, I have a few questions. Do people who also attract negativity during the time of death, um, because mostly fear of dying and during the time when they're in the process of dying, I don't see any reason of not being fearful. And Tom says fearfulness attracts or manifests what it fears. Well, I'm not sure exactly what was in his mind, but yes, fear mm -hmm. does tend to manifest what it fears. That's true. But if somebody's dying and they have a fear of death, that's not going to manifest anything other than death, I guess. <laughs> so um, that uh, is going to happen anyway if they're dying and near death. So that's kind of a um, you know, neither here nor there. If they're fearful, then will just make themselves miserable and be unhappy and, and kind of 
um, uh, I don't know that I should say waste, but not make good use of the moments that they have left that they could interact positively with people or even uh, work positively uh, inside their own heads. So fear is never a good thing. If you're, if you're terrified and frightened of something, it's usually not very profitable for you. Um, I'm not sure just what he's, he was getting at there. I'm not too sure either. Uh, the next part of the question is, as we are all part of the LCS, um, the negative entity should also be a part of the LCS. We talked about this in the origins of the LCS. As we had come up with something about that. And if the LCS is love, why does it, uh, why does it have negative entities? Well, that's a simple answer because there is free will. Uh, the larger conscious system cannot say, well, you have free will to do whatever you want as long as it's what I want. You know, or you have free will to, you know, to make your own choices as long as they're positive choices. That's not free will, and that doesn't go anywhere. That's the system controlling things, and that's what the system was trying to get rid of. It already was a, was a one monolithic thing where it made all the choices. And it was trying to get away from that. So it didn't want to make choices for these individuated units of, of consciousness. It wanted them to make their own choices. That was the advantage. But when you give that advantage, you also have to realize that some of them will make bad choices. And if you make bad choices, then you de-evolve the quality of your consciousness. And some would do that. So that's just part of it. In order to allow for growth, you also have to allow for you know, de-evolution. Um, free will is free will, so that's why the the system has negativity and negative entities in it. The system doesn't just—it's not just playing with its, you know, pet entities. Oh, I don't like this one. Let's, you know, throw that one out. It's not like that. It's not, you know, the idea. Why does the system allow it? Well, the system has to allow whatever develops from from the rules of the game. It's not controlling the whole game that would that would subvert what it is it's trying to do in the first place all right um i'm going to go on to the next question uh from an mbt forum user in uh the december 2014 fireside chat part two i heard you talking about jobs in the lcs can you elaborate on what specific jobs are available in the non-physical do you have any advice on how best to choose one of those jobs yeah, uh, elaborate on the jobs, not so much. I think the one I talked about was a job at the uh, uh, in the reality frame uh, that I call the transition frame, where um, people end up where they wake up after they've died in this physical reality. Um, that's a frame that uh, you can generally, I shouldn't say you generally, that, that uh, can use extra help. Uh, it's a frame where... It's actually, they probably don't need the extra help. Is it, It's more of a learning tool for you to go kind of apprentice there a while just to see how it works, to get some idea of the mechanics. So there's those kinds of things. And there's several others, too, but uh, that's really not the point. You'll get whatever job you you can get, I guess, if you can get any at all. And that is you have the intent. I would like to help. I'd like to be part of the process. I'd like to, you know, uh, be able to give to the system and give to its processes in any way that I can. And if you have that intent and keep that intent in your mind for a few months, 
you know, every day, particularly uh, before uh, going to sleep, then you will optimize your probability of being placed in one of those jobs. So that's the way you sign on. That's how you fill out the application, and you may or may not get picked. It just depends on where you are in your own evolution and whether or not that experience is one that would be a really good growth experience for you. If it would be a big ego puff up for you, then you're not going to get it. Uh, if it would just be uh, some uh, a cool experience but not getting much growth out of it, then you're not going to get it. If it's going to be a real changer in your life, then you have a high probability of getting that or at least a higher probability of getting that. So that's what you need to do. And it would be any any position or any little piece of help that the system would uh, would put you in. Again, it's not so much that the system needs help as it is that you can be put in a place where you have specific tasks to do uh, within the system that help you understand better how the system works. So it's more of an intern program or a uh, um, you know, one of those things where you get to, to learn the insides of how things work more than you're actually a, a major contributor to the process. All right. So, Tom, thank you. Another question from Zach, an MBT forum user. Have you ever visited another reality frame that has lower entropy than ours and observed what kind of political system they have? I imagine that a society with an average quality of consciousness higher than ours, where individuals are less centered and care more about each other, would have little need for central government and lots of rules and regulations, perhaps something more akin to the libertarian philosophy. I personally identify with the ideals of the libertarian philosophy, but can see that it would only work well in practice in a low-entropy society. Yeah. Can you comment? That's, uh, yeah, that's probably a good observation on your part. Um, the libertarian uh, philosophy has has that one big drawback, and that is it needs a lot of nearly perfect people in order to make it work well. As long as you have people who are low quality of consciousness, then that system doesn't really work very well. Uh, it, uh, it has its, its problems. The idea that, uh, you know, in, in the end, the, the system will optimize itself only works well if everybody there is interested in optimizing um, you know, in a in a contributive way, rather than in a um, uh, a way that um, you know, can I say, uh, rips people off, takes advantage in a in a negative way. So, yes, the um, places I have been, there's one place in particular that I reality that I was in that had a lower average quality of consciousness, and the. I didn't really get much of a view of the economic system, but it wasn't an issue. I can say that about it. Uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of the social issues that we have now. They just didn't exist. And I would further suggest that if we could, if we could um, by magic, make everybody on planet Earth have a low quality of consciousness, it wouldn't matter what economic systems we started with or what political systems we started with but if we the people had low had had a high quality of consciousness and a low entropy all of the political and economic systems would adjust themselves all by themselves to 
basically serve the system rather than exploit it. So the reason we have so much exploitation and so much dysfunction is because we are so dysfunctional ourselves. So if we straighten ourselves up, then the institutions will straighten themselves up without us doing really anything about it. They'll just reconfigure themselves to suit. So we are the we're the problem. We the the people. We the humans are the problem. If we get a, a higher quality of consciousness, our institutions will will uh, fall right into place to serve that higher quality of consciousness. They don't really have to be figured out so much as that it'll figure it'll figure itself out. That just that will work easily. Um, such a such a government and political landscape would be very flat. Yes, you wouldn't need a lot of hierarchy, and you wouldn't need a lot of uh, of um, of regulation or rules. It would be a very minimal set, and uh, it would work fine because everybody there would care about everybody else. Nobody would want to take advantage of anybody else. Everybody would ask, what can I do to help, not what can I get? So you don't need a lot of government in a, in a population like that. There still has to be some some things that uh, are universal services and other things that you need, but that would be very flat, and it would be done in a way that uh, maximized everybody's free will choices. You have maximum free will, maximum choice in such a in such an environment. All right, Tom. The next question is from the MPT forum as well. It's lucky on. Uh Strange OBE experiences. Now, it's very long, so it's describing (laughs) vibrations, um, different different types of uh, pulls and painful experiences and... If this is becoming unbearable. He ver- he tried very hard to end the experience, but but couldn't. These are, these are all things that are very subjective and unique to the person, depending on on what they are, um, you know, how they are interpreting things. Um, what he's really asking is, is it normal to have these kinds of experiences? And I want to know if there's any risk of death. Okay. It's normal to have those experiences if you are very fearful. Uh, fearful people have scary experiences. They um, experience, again, you manifest, you know, your fear manifests itself very quickly in these, uh, in these reality frames. So it's normal for frightened people to find scary experiences. You know, thugs meet them and beat them up. Uh, uh, they feel, um, you know, they're trapped. They can't get back. Lots of bad things happen there. But I'd say you're not quite ready for the out-of-body yet. Uh, you should work on getting rid of your fears. When you get those fears uh, reduced quite a bit, then try it again, and you won't find all that scary stuff happening. You won't find it to be such a, uh, you know, such a bad place. That's just... You know, yeah, that that is common, and and what you can do about it is just first get rid of the fear. There's not really much else you can do. Now, if you could get rid of the fear, let's say here's 
you know, I'll give you a, an example. When you go there next time, if you decide to go and something scary happens, you need to treat it without fear. So you get there and a couple of thugs come up with clubs to beat you. You just need to smile at them and give them a hug, kiss them on the cheek and tell them to have a nice day. See, that sort of thing. A monster comes up, you need to shake his hand, uh, you know, ask him uh, if he enjoyed his, you know, enjoying his day. You'd be, you know, give love, give peace. Don't be afraid. Don't cower. Don't say, oh, no, this is going to hurt. Oh, not that again. All of that just feeds that stuff. You need to go there with a positive attitude. And then when negative things come to scare you, you just have to ignore them or, you know, engage them in a positive way and they'll disappear. A lot of that is what's called a fear test. Because when you get into the out-of-body uh, realms, you, you manifest very easily uh, with your intent. So here in this physical reality, we can manifest our fears. If we have fears, we will eventually manifest them, but it may take months or years or even most of a lifetime to do it. There, if you have a fear, you manifest it instantly. Man the manifestation is very, is very quick. So you have to, uh, to let the fear go. Don't let any of it scare you. And no, you're not going to ever get to the place where you can't get back. And no, it's not going to hurt you. And no, it won't kill you. So... Knowing that, you can just smile at that monster and, you know, if he's really big, kiss him on the kneecap and give him a hug. Okay. Um, MBT Forum user uh, Nick Mara has a, a question on the worldwide monetary system. I have a question regarding worldwide monetary systems and structures. It appears from a big picture perspective that money has a built-in mechanism that implicitly and explicitly devolves the quality of our consciousness as it grossly incubates greed, deception, and manipulation. We are all acquiescing and participating in this money game. Do you feel that money-controlled cultures and societies are the reason the majority of people are not waking up and would getting rid of money altogether be the answer to this problem? Um, the answer is no and no. Uh, the problem isn't the money. It's not the evil dictator. It's not the greedy corporations. It's none of those things. Yes, those institutions are that way. And yes, they, uh, they do create a lot of dysfunction. But the problem isn't them. The problem is us. If we... Raise our quality of consciousness, that stuff will all fix itself. Going out and fixing those things is fixing symptoms. All those dysfunctional things are systems of a dysfunctional people, a low quality of conscious people. Okay, They're symptoms. So, yes, you can change the symptom. You can get rid of the symptom, and that will make things better for a little while. But eventually, it will get just as bad as it ever was. Whatever, whatever system you replace it with will end up being uh, subverted, changed, manipulated to end up doing much of the same stuff, no matter what it is. No matter what kind of, of safeguards you have on it, it will degenerate into something similar. That's because we are low-quality consciousness beings, so we create all that. So fixing symptoms maybe helps a little bit in the short run to make things nicer, 
but it won't help anything in the long run. It'll just make changes. It's like um, the old metaphor. It's like rearranging the you know the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, it may make everybody on the Titanic feel better for just a few moments, but it's not really going to help the big picture any. So that's the problem. Yes, monetary system is not a, a very effective system, and it has its downsides, no doubt, as a whole lot of things that we do. And yes, greed and corruption and all the rest of it has to do with money, but those are symptoms, not causes. So don't uh, confuse the symptom for the cause. Uh, treating symptoms isn't long-term good strategy. You need to treat causes. So if you want to treat a cause, and since you can't change anybody but yourself, the way you make this world a better place is by growing yourself up, getting rid of your fear, and raising the quality of your consciousness. That's your maximum contribution. And yes, you're just one person, but everybody has to do it on their own. Nobody can be grown up by somebody else. Everybody has to do that. So until we in large extent, most of us grow up, we're going to have systems and institutions that are dysfunctional because we're dysfunctional. So the, the no and no is that you're looking at, you know, you're, you're looking at the, the tail wagging the dog. It's not that way. It's, uh, they're symptoms and they're not the cause of bad behavior. They're the result of our low quality of consciousness. One more question. A question from an MBT forum user. Treating the earth as a subject rather than an object. Referring to the world as a virtual reality, to me, can seem it and make it more of an object without consciousness rather than a living subject. Earth as a living subject would have its own form of life and evolution, as claimed by shamans and druids. There is a sense in which the way humanity treats the earth at the moment as an object to be pillaged and plundered rather than a living subject to be respected and nurtured might be reinforced by the mythos of MBT. Can you please comment on this? Yeah, you're looking at it in the wrong way. That this is a virtual reality doesn't make it unreal or, um, you know, just fake or, you know, not important. The fact this is a virtual reality, we, we, our bodies, you know, we human beings, these are all avatars. Okay, the animals are also avatars. So you have a conscious animal like a raccoon, and there is some consciousness playing that raccoon's avatar. Okay, or if you have something at a lower level, uh, there may be a conscious playing a, a group of those somethings as an avatar. So it's all consciousness playing in the game. And yes, the Earth has evolved. It evolved in the simulation. It's not a programmed thing. It's a it's an evolved simulation. Initial conditions, rule set. You evolve this universe, and you evolve us and everything there, and it's all interrelated. That's because it all evolved from a rule set. That same rule set makes it all interrelated. It all depends on each other. Um, you know, ecology is an important thing. We're here, and our growing up requires us to take care of each other and of the environment and of the critters, the earth, and to see all that as part of our responsibility to care for all of that. That's part of our growth. So the fact that it's a virtual reality in no way makes it more of a of an object makes it more of something that isn't important. It is what it is. It's information. 
information is as real as anything gets. There's nothing more real than information. So virtual reality is the only kind of reality in which you can have experience. So if when you die, you go to another virtual reality, you wake up in another virtual reality. When you get into out of body, you're in another virtual reality. Okay, virtual reality just means that the reality is created from information. It's created from a data stream. That's all it means. So that this is a virtual reality or a simulation in no way makes it less important, less significant, or makes the the Earth or the or the you know, all the beings and things on it any less significant. There isn't anything more real or more fundamental to us as far as an a, a interactive um, experiential reality than, you know, a virtual reality. So there, there isn't anything more real or more subjective than that. So this idea of it being an object is just something in your own mind because you see uh, virtual reality is somehow kind of fake and, and not the real thing. It is the real thing, and there isn't anything more real than that. Our responsibility here to the Earth and to each other is, is clear, and the fact that this is a virtual reality doesn't make that responsibility any less strong and important.